Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org forward slash resources. Anybody excited today? Come on. It's good. It's good to be with you guys. It's good to be with family. Amen. Awesome. I want to welcome everybody today and uh, definitely, definitely excited. This is the day that the Lord has made. It's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good day. Uh, I want to jump right into it today. And um, I think we have an outline and, and I'll always begin to want, I try to stick to it or may venture, but we'll just see how it goes. But um, before I do, I want to just want to welcome the youth in the house today. Let's give the youth a hand. Amen. Awesome. Awesome. Glad to have you guys in. And uh, I'm just really excited about what God's going to do. Let's, let's pray. Jesus, we just come before you this morning and we just thank you. We thank you, Lord. We just thank you, Jesus, for what you've already done. Lord, your presence that's filled this place, Lord. Hearts that are being opened and softened, Jesus. We thank you for the work that you're doing in every person's life. Even for the hardships and the difficulties. Even for the challenging moments, Lord. We thank you for those moments. Your word says that when we get to the place, when we welcome the persecution... And we welcome those hardships, that it's producing in us character and perseverance, that it is making us more like your son. And so, Jesus, that's our heart and our cry today. Lord, make us more like you. And so we welcome you, Father. I ask that you would fill this place, that you would fill every heart, that you would fill every mind, every soul, and every spirit. Lord, we break off every hindering spirit. We break off everything that has tried to come against the house of the Lord, against the family members, against the sons and daughters. We just break it off right now in the name of Jesus. We say that no weapon formed against you will prosper, that the Lord has brought you here. He has brought you here today, not by accident, but by divine reason. There is a revelation coming to you today that is going to set your life into motion, that's going to unlock some things where you have been feeling stuck and you have been feeling not knowing where to go. Thank you, Father, that you're bringing light today, that you're bringing clarity in the house, Father. We thank you, Lord. Come on, just lift your voices with me for a moment. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you. Just begin to lift your voice. Let's just begin to pray. Thank you, Lord, that what you're going to do. We thank you, Father, for who you are. You are the God of Israel. You are the God of the nation. You are the king of the universe. You are the bright and morning star. You are the bread of life. You are the sun of the living God. You are the gate. It says you are the shepherd. You lay down your life for the sheep. You lay down your life for sons and daughters. You give the enemy a cold water to drink. You wash the feet of the accuser. You wash the feet of those who come against us. God, we thank you, Lord. And we just declare that here in the day. We thank you for faith that's arising in this place. Oh, we just shake off the complacency. Right now, we shake off the things of the world. We shake off the attacks from this week. We shake off all the things, the self-pity, the woe is me. We shake it off. You are more than conquerors. Sons and daughters, victorious warriors, the hope of heaven is in you. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Give him a shout. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Wow. 
Oh, man, thank you, Lord. Whoo, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Whoo, it's like prayer meeting time, isn't it? Wow. You know, listen, really, I, I never knew how to pray. I, when I was coming off of crack cocaine, there was no, I didn't know how to, you didn't know how to pray. You didn't know how to talk. And when I went to a rehab center, they told us that we had to have a quiet time every morning. And so every morning at 7.30, I would go in in this little shack of a building that was no bigger than my bedroom. And I would sit there and I would actually scream to God about how my life had turned out. And that was how I started prayer. But then all of a sudden, you know, God can handle that. He can handle that because you're being real. So when I was being real and vulnerable, but just releasing my frustration, God broke in. And something began to happen. He began to teach me how to pray. He began to teach me how to intercede. And all of a sudden, man, I'd spend almost hours, and it'd feel like minutes, just going by. He teaches us. He leads us. Amen. He guides us. Wow, I don't know, but I feel like that's for somebody. If you're struggling with something, you, you have to pray. You have to get in that place, and you got to command your own soul and take control and say, I'm going to declare the word of the Lord, and it's going to break something off. Woo, man. Wow, that is so wow. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Jesus. So I, I, I was praying about today um, a couple weeks ago, and um, I, I really felt the Lord uh, very clearly on a word, and, and it may be one of those words where it applies just to one person or it may be a lot, but I really felt that I heard it clearly, but it's, again, one of those concepts where you don't know it, but it just it comes as it, as it goes. So this is, as I was praying, this is what I felt the Lord said to me. He said, he said Michael, tell the people that I'm bringing them into a Joshua 24 moment, a Joshua chapter 24 moment. And he said, in that moment, he said, a lot of people are in a valley right now. Like right now, prophetically, a lot of people are in a valley. And it is a valley of choice. And it is a valley of decision. And I feel like there's many of you here right now that you have to, there's a decision you need to make. There's a decision that you need to make. It may be small or it may be great. If it's not there yet, I believe it's coming. There, there's a decision that you're going to have to make. And, and Joshua 24 is all about making the right decision, or he's trying to get the people to make the right decision. So I, I kind of wanted to just share a little bit about making the right decision and just see where we go from there. Um, open your Bibles with me to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. And uh, we'll read it, reread in verse 1. So as you're getting there, let me tell you a little quick story about this week that I had about making a decision. So this week uh, was uh, Amber, Amber's birthday. Amen. She turned, I'm going to tell you, she turned 33 years old, the age of Jesus. And um, let me tell you what happened. It was really, really, really neat. We, um, she had told me of a place where she wanted to go to dinner or she dropped the line for me to, you know, set up reservations. And so I had it. I was like, okay, I got it. I'm going to do this. And so I had it all, all lined up and uh, it was in Myrtle Beach. And so we were going to take off. It was Thursday. And we were going to go to Myrtle Beach to have dinner. So I had all the reservations. Everything was set. And then when we were getting ready, when we saw each other that night, um, she's like, you know, I'm just kind of tired. I've been in the car all day running back and forth. Is it okay if we don't go to Myrtle Beach? And I was like, it's totally fine. It's your birthday. We're going to go wherever you want. So that, that put us in a journey that night. And so we, we got in the car and we started driving. And so we're like, so I was like, well, what are you feeling? And, you know, sometimes, I don't know if it's, married couples in the house or relationships, dinner can be always interesting, right? It's like, where do you want to go? I don't know where you want to go. 
I don't know, what are you feeling? Uh, I don't know, what are you feeling, you know? How about, how about some steak? Well, you know, maybe, you know, you know, and it can go back and forth. For Everybody know what I'm talking about? Amen. I failed in that one many times. And, um, but anyway, uh, so we get to talking, and so, so I, it made it easy because it was her birthday. So I was like, anywhere you want to go. So we start looking at uh, seafood. And so there's this place called the Pilot House downtown in Wilmington. We, we had never been there, but we had heard it was good. And so we're, we're getting excited. We're on the way. We've done a U-turn. Amber's pulling up the menu, and we're, she's reading the menu. And I, I'm like, my mouth is watering. <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, I already know what I'm going to order. I see the appetizer, the drink, the timing. I'm ready. And so we're, we're getting excited. Oh, so we, we made a decision. It was quick. And we go, and we pull up the Pilot House, and it's closed. <laughs> And it's closed. And we're like, well, why is it Thursday night? It's closed. So we're like, man, you know, you get bummed because you had your heart on it. You're, you know, disappointed now. So we, we leave out of there. And so now we get on steak. So she's like, well, you know, maybe a good steak. So let's talk about steak places. So, you know, Outback. We have Outback. We have uh, uh, Longhorn and Mayfair. And then you had the uh, other one we were talking about, Texas Roadhouse. Which, you know, they, I think they all have pretty good steaks. But so we go through that whole gauntlet, and we're like, well, Texas Roadhouse has a good steak, but it's very loud, peanuts everywhere. You know, you, you know so it's kind of like, do we not, do we do it? We get to Outback, you know, you can always rely on Outback. You know you're going to get the Bloomin' Onion, and so we're, we're going through that. But you kind of already know what you're going to get. And then a Longhorn, which we've never been to, but we went in one in Virginia. We just, we just weren't really feeling it, so we just kind of went back and forth. So now we're like going, we're looking in Wrightsville Beach. I mean, it's like an hour, and now we're riding all around Wilmington, and we've not decided. <laughs> now, we'll say this. When Amber came up with the menu of the pilot house and she got on that seafood, she mentioned this thing about shrimp, scallops, and linguine. And I have a little Italian in, in me, so I, I like that. And so I had a thought, and I didn't communicate this to her. I thought, oh, Carabas would be great because they have this great fettuccine, wheezy, with scallops. So, but I didn't say anything. So after we go through the whole steak gauntlet. She goes, you know what? I think I have a palate in my mouth for Carabas. <laughs> and I was like, yes, let's go to Carabas. So we ended up going to Carabas. There's a point to this story. We ended up going to the Carabas. <laughs> we, get, we get to the Carabas. Now, here's what's really cool. Uh, we, we, we did a, a Christmas party at Carabas for many of you guys, the House of Mercy volunteers. You guys remember that? That was an awesome time. And uh, the owner of that, that restaurant, his name is Jonathan, very nice man. He, he just gave us a wonderful deal and, and just blessed us. And he, he, they do helpful things for the community. So they gave us an incredible deal. We connected with them. So I've not been there since then. So now we're going into Carabas, and we get a table. We sit down. We're both excited. And then who, who comes over? Jonathan, the owner, is there that night. And so he comes over. Hey, how you doing? And, you know, just very nice, very awesome. So we had a wonderful evening. We had a wonderful meal. And then at the very end, you know, they ask you for dessert, you know, and you're always like, man, you know, I'm good on dessert. Either you're full or you don't have the money to pay for dessert, so you're just like, I'm good. And so so we, we told that, Jonathan said, I'm not having it. I'm ordering you dessert. And so he gave us dessert, and we shared it, and it was just wonderful. So then we go up to leave, and the waiter goes, here's your bill. It's already taken care of. The owner bought it for you. Come on. It took some time, but we made the right decision. Come on. Yes. <laughs> Woo. So just kind of just a little humor there, uh, but it's, it's really important that we made the right decision. 
But great news in this, guys. He's with us, and he's going to guide us to make the right decision. Even if we drift over here, he has a way to bring us back to the best thing for you and, and what he wants for you. Amen? All right, you with me with Joshua 24? Joshua 24. All right, a little bit maybe more serious note. So Joshua 24, verse 1. I love the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua is about the conquest of the land. It's about the, the tribes taking over what was promised to them. It's about them receiving the inheritance that Moses had talked about, that Joseph had died for, that all the other people in the Bible. And they, they get to walk in it. Well, the first 23 chapters are all about conquest. But the last chapter shifts, and there is a, is a different tone. And at this point in 24, Joshua's at the end of his life, and he's starting to see some things in the people as they're beginning to settle into the new season. And I believe he takes a moment, he prophetically seizes the moment, an opportunity to give context to the season that they're in so that they can have the proper strategy, come on, to walk into, into to, to, to dwell in that new season that, that God had led them in. So it says in Joshua 24, 1, then he assembled all the tribes. Someone say all the tribes. Of Israel, where at? Shechem. I love that place. He summoned the elders, the leaders, the judges, the officials, and they presented themselves before God. Now, it's getting ready to fold into a history lesson. And Joshua just begins, as he gathers the nation at this place called Shechem, he's getting ready to unfold the history. Why Shechem? You always got to ask why. Why Shechem? Because Moses told Joshua in Deuteronomy, when you get over to the promised land, one of the first things you're going to do is you're going to go to a place called Mount Ebal and Mount Gerzim. On these two mountains, you're going to divide the 12 tribes, and you're going to put half on Ebal and half on Gerzim, and they are going to pronounce the blessings that will come over you if you follow the Lord, but they're also going to declare curses that will come upon you if you don't follow the Lord, right? Mount Ebal and Mount Gerzim, this is fact, is separated by the valley of Shechem. Shechem is the valley that's, that, that is divided between Ebal and Gerzim. So now Joshua is rallying everybody back to this place where they put the word of the Lord. And he begins to remind them where they came from. And I want you to go to verse 2. It says, in verse 2, Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nornor, who lived beyond the river and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land and beyond the river and led him all the way throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants as I did Isaac. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. And it goes forth. And for the next several verses, he goes on through the history lesson. But what I want us to see is that Joshua took a moment to understand where he was and to evaluate the people that he was leading where they were getting ready to head. And I feel that in this moment where we are right now as a church, as a body, you individually, you have to seize the moment that you're in. And I feel the Holy Spirit wants us to be able to discern and recognize the season we are entering into. Skip down to verse 13. Look what Joshua says. Remember, the Lord I gave you, this is the Lord, I, so I gave you a land on which you did not toil, and cities that you did not build. And you live in them, and you eat from them vineyards and their olive groves that you did not plant. They were not going into a season of building. 
they were not going into a season of reconstruction. They were going into a season of inheritance. They were going into a season of receiving, right? They were going into that place. And so I think it's very important to understand the difference. I feel in my spirit, 2018, and where we're at, we're, we're getting to walk into a season of receiving. I feel 2017, it was hard for a lot of folks. I feel there was a lot of things that was tough and hard. But I, as I was praying about this, I felt like the Lord said, there is a renewed grace getting ready to come over the children of heaven, over the children of God, so that we will be able to receive what had been promised to us many, many, many years ago. And that it, you're not going to have to build or start from scratch. It's going to already be prepared for you to receive. Do you hear what I'm saying? I receive it. Come on. So, so you, we got to remember of where we're going, all right? Seize the moment. Identify the issues. Now, here's a really powerful passage. Look at the next verse. My Bible says, NIV, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. I, 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 like, I don't have it, but I like the King James, the way it says it. I believe it says something to the fact, like fear the Lord in sincerity and in truth. Is that right? Is that close? But now here's the deal. It says, throw away, listen to this, the gods your forefathers worship beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. I want to read that verse again. I want us to catch something. Throw away the gods beyond the river, number one, distinction number two, and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it seems undesirable to you, then choose, right? Make a decision for yourself. Who are you going to serve? Now, here's something else. It kicks back up. Whether the gods of your forefathers beyond the river, number one, we know Egypt. Here's, here's the missing link. Or the gods of the Amorites in whose land now you currently live. But as for me and my house, we choose and we decide that we will serve the Lord. Joshua is identifying and addressing issues, I believe, that were creeping up. You see, they had been in the land. They had already taken, they began to settle. But this moment, he was calling them back to the place. Because why? I believe he saw his people beginning to flirt with some things they shouldn't be flirting with. And it's locked in those three things. The gods beyond the river, the gods of Egypt, and the god of the Amorites. So I kind of define that as filters. You know, in our social media technology age, we live in a filter generation, right? We, we want to post the best posts on Facebook or Instagram, Snapchat, but sometimes it may be the complete opposite of what's really going on in our environment or our home. But we always want to show the best. I mean, we all do it. But the point is, we are so accustomed to putting filters on everything to enhance things and to make things appear a certain way. So I feel that there were filters around the people at this time, and I think Joshua was trying to get them to see, listen, you gotta take off some of those filters. So I wanna talk about that first filter, the filter of fear. The filter of fear, the gods beyond the river. What was he talking about when he made that statement? If you go back to the, the second verse when he said, uh, abandon the gods of your forefathers, Abraham's father, Terah. That's what it says in the first opening of chapter 24. I believe he was talking about before Abraham came, his father, Terah. And you could read that in Genesis chapter 11. Jewish opinion, Jewish historians and scholars believed that Abraham's father, Terah, mentioned here, had a business where he manufactured and produced idols. That's the common view and the common thought. 
and that because he was an idol maker, he distributed and made his living by providing idols to people back in the land of Mesopotamia. So there's also, according to Jewish histories and scholars, they believe there was an incident that happened, and I don't know if this is true, but it's really good, interesting reading. They believe there was an incident that happened where Abraham smashed his daddy's idols in the shop and was saying, look, they're worthless. They can't talk. They can't do anything. Even though he didn't know God, he, he did this act. And so they believe that this caused some disruption in the family. Now, if you pick back up in Genesis 11, it shows you that Terah set out with Abraham and his family to go to the land of Canaan. And many believe that he was in search of truth, a higher truth. If these idols weren't what they thought they were, then there has to be a greater answer. So he set his family out. Terah, not Abraham, led the journey. And they made it to a place called Haran where he died. Abraham picks up the torch and he ends up going into the land of Canaan. What's the point? So I believe when he's saying this, listen, you got to be careful of what you're doing here. The filters, these gods beyond the river, what does that represent to you and I? This is what I believe. I believe that Terah, like so many believers, start out on fire. Start out on fire. They're encountered by God. They have a heart for the Lord. It's true. It's genuine. It's pure. And they hear the Lord and they set their life according to that plan. But then somewhere along the journey, they end up stopping. Because it gets too hard. Because as you go forward, many may you know this, the road gets narrower, doesn't it? And it does get harder sometimes. And so a lot of times, people are unable to handle the pressure. They're unable to handle the offense. They're unable to handle the jealousies. They're unable to handle the betrayal. They're unable to handle the discouragement, the backbiting, all these things that come when we're walking with the Lord. Is it, am I talking to anybody today? Come on, right? And, and what starts happening is if we're not rooted, if we're, we're not centered and yielded everything to the Lord, those things can stop us on our journey. And we're unable to finish what God began in the spirit. Come on. The Galatian church had this problem. What did Paul say? Oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? That word bewitched in the Greek is pharmakia, the word where we get pharmacy, pharmaceutical, right, intoxication. They were intoxicated. They became intoxicated with a view and a belief system that, that, that they needed to do circumcision in the rules and the law in order to substantiate the faith that they already had. And so what the enemy likes to do in, in us sometimes, he likes, to, he likes to try to get us to see this life through these filters. When we're walking on our journey, and, and it gets too hard, and this is how the enemy comes. Oh, you, you don't have to put up with that. You, you don't have to put up with that. They don't know who you are. Oh, don't you know? There's, listen, if you go over there, they'll accept you. Oh, come on. This is that not one of the greatest lies. I'm going to tell you right now, family, it is, the grass is never greener on the other side. It is never greener on the other side because here's the reality. There's always going to be an imperfection in every church, every leadership, every community, every job, every home, every relationship, every whatever. And so I think sometimes God wants us to deliver us from this mentality that we're always waiting for the perfect moment. But there's never really going to be that perfect moment because we live in a contaminated, in a corrupted world. 
So I believe we have to have foundation in faith, believing the Lord that he's walking with us and walk through the hurt and the pain. So instead of running away from the scars, you embrace them. You embrace them. You embrace the accusation. You embrace the hurt and the pain. You take them in. You embrace them. And you don't respond. You allow the Holy Spirit, you allow the Holy Spirit to come and wash you and empower you to stay strong in your faith. Come on now. That's how we let the Lord fight this battle. But see, Joshua, he's a good leader. He's a good father. He saw his own people drifting away. He said, be careful. You got to throw that. You got to throw that mentality away. You, you, can't, you can't bring that back over in the new season. You got you to throw that away. Moving on. That second filter. <laughs> I got I to come back to this other point. I can't go. Thank you, Lord. Daniel. Daniel's a great example. In the book of Daniel, he went under a lot of persecution. And I just was studying it this week and just thinking about it. And, you know, there was a lot of people around Daniel that didn't like him. But here's what I want us to see. It wasn't about Daniel. It wasn't about what he did wrong. It was about what he did right. And the attack was not so much on his character as it was his reputation. Because here's the deal. If the enemy can destroy your reputation or try to attack your reputation and cause your own character to become corrupted because you're frustrated, then he's got you. But what did Daniel do? He got on his knees and prayed three times a day and continued his faith journey. He stood strong. He didn't respond to the accusation. He didn't throw the food back. He took it like a man. Woo! And God broke in on his behalf. I don't know. I just feel like that's for someone you today. It's okay. People may tear your reputation from here in the back. They may drag your name through the mud. They may wash your name through the mud. But I'm going to tell you, there is a God in heaven. There is a king of kings that will justify your name without you doing anything. Come on now. Woo! Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Shoo. Thank you, Father. Mm. I just get so excited, y'all. It's just hard not to get excited. Gosh. Man, you just, because you, well, when you live it and you know it, it's real. It's truth, man. It's like, oh. oh. This is another filter I think he, he mentioned. He said, in the gods of Egypt. I think, I think the gods of Egypt represent to you and I that, that orphan filter. Now, I know many of you know what I'm talking about, the orphan mentality, the orphan thinking. And there, I think there was a season where we were really learning and gleaming from that revelation. But then also, I think sometimes we can come under this understanding that we know it, we've been taught it, we believe it, we, we, we got it, and we're good. We, we are sons and daughters. But I believe that sometimes, if we're not careful, we can drift back into orphan thinking. Even as sons and daughters, we, we can still drift back and try to, try to interpret uh, the current things that are going on in our life, and we're trying to solve it through an orphan mentality, rather from the place of we know who we are and we know whose we are. So I think they, they begin to struggle with that, that orphan filter. I just chop it up this way. I'm just going to get to the root of it. I believe the whole root to orphan thinking and the orphan mentality is, I don't want to simplify it too much, but just what I feel, is it's based on this premise. The enemy, the enemy always tries to tempt us and allure us to perform, 
to earn and to work for something you already have. Without going there, just follow me. Remember the desert, temptation of Jesus and Satan. How many temptations, right? Three. He said, if you really are the son of God, turn these stones to bread, right? Throw yourself from the temple. But as I was really stuttering that, I began to understand what the enemy was trying to do to the Lord. He was trying to get him to perform. He was trying to get him to, in his own ability, right, do something. But here's the kicker. What if I talk, and again, this is just thoughts here, you know. But what if, the, I, this is what I believe. I believe the enemy was really, could care less of the first two temptations. What would he really have to gain if Jesus turned his stones into bread where nobody could see it and he could eat? And what would he really have to gain is if he threw himself from the top of the temple and angels caught him? But there was more for the enemy to gain if Jesus would bow down and worship him. That was the whole point of that whole desert experience. And what was Satan's promise? I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. But here's the reality. He already had the kingdoms of the world. He already had that inheritance promised to him even before he came to planet Earth. But Satan was trying to tempt him to perform to get something he already has. So a lot of times we get jammed up with the Lord because we're trying to earn, come on, we're trying to work for something, we're trying to get the approval from someone, we're trying to be validated or valued by something that we already have inside of us. And so I felt like Joshua, come on, man, he he foresaw this. He says, look, you already got it inside of you. You know, throw away that orphan mentality. You're a son and daughter. You're a son and that's who you are, guys. You are a son and daughter of the living God. More than conquerors, victorious warriors. And you are made, I believe, to express the nature of the living God in the earth. And that's why you exist. But it's up to you to decide what part of the nature of God you're going to reveal into the earth. That's what makes us all unique and different. But wouldn't it be like God, and he's so big, it would take six billion people on the planet to express his full nature. Come on, man. Woo, gee, okay. And there's a filter of independence, a third filter. Filter of independence. He said, now, those two were in the past. He said, but here's the filter of independence is for the present. The Amorites, where do you draw that connection? If you study the Amorite people, you're going to realize something. They were nomadic. What does that mean? They were wanderers. They wandered from place to place. They didn't have a home. Not only were they wanderers, they said they dressed in sheepskin. They loved to dress in sheepskin. They were unruly people. They sacrificed to different gods, and, and they had different views and thoughts and beliefs. But the thing that really set them apart is that they had a really strong, independent spirit. That was that spirit that said, you know, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to go ahead and do what I want to do. Remember in the last book of Judges, every man did what was right in his own eyes. It's that kind of thinking, that kind of, that kind of behavior that the Amorites carried. And he saw that beginning to creep into the people. Be careful. Throw away that view. Throw away that worldview. Throw away that, 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 that expression, people, Israel. Don't, don't adapt yourself to the God of the Amorites. I believe looking back, I, I didn't know it then. It's been almost 14 years, but when I truly gave my heart to God in this rehab center, I remember an encounter that I'll never forget, and I I committed these words out loud, just me and God on a path in the open air, and I said, I'm tired of doing what I want to do with my life. 
I'm tired of doing what I want to do with my life. Up until that point, I had been in the United States Marine Corps. I had been around the world. I had been served in infantry. Before that, I was in construction. I had worked many construction jobs. Before that, I was a telemarketer. I'd call you up and sell you something. I, I Just all those things. I sold knives. I went door to door. I was a knife salesman. I, I mean, many, many things. Fisherman with my dad. And none of it, none of it ever satisfied. None of it I could see myself doing for the rest of my life. And I was miserable, I think, at all of them. But when I made the decision on that day and I said, I'm tired of doing what I want to do. In other words, I'm not going to make my destiny. I'm not going to make a dream because what America is telling me. I'm not going to base my future based on the culture that I'm living in. I'm not going to base my living, my, my education, whatever, on what everybody around me is telling me to do. I am only going to do what you want me to do. And I mentally went there and I said, God, if it is your heart for me to live at a rescue center for the rest of my life, I made $25 an hour working 40 hours a week. And I will do that the rest of my life and I will do it happily because I found pleasure in knowing that's what he wanted me to do. I can't stress this enough. We have to live in that place, y'all where we're only doing what he wants us to do. And it gets real slippery here. Because <laughs> there's, right, there's, there's sometimes, and I don't always get it right, I don't, I repent real quick. Because we, we can get in life, we can get in the fast pace, the busyness of life, and make decisions without consulting the Lord based on our past experience, based on traditions or our upbringing, thinking that this is gonna be the best answer. But oftentimes it's not. Right, John Bevere puts it as it's a good thing or a God thing, right? We want that God thing, not just the good thing. We want what God wants for our life. I promise you, when you walk in that lot, woo, when you walk in that way, you will lack with nothing in your life. Nothing. So I, I felt like Joshua again was he was showing that this was happening. Culture of accountability. As you read the story, right? He goes down. Now here's something interesting. I want you to go with verse 22. Look what Joshua says. He, he tells them now, make a choice, serve the Lord. And of course, the people responded by saying, yes, we're going to serve the Lord. We, we want to do it, right? But look what happens. Look what Joshua says. He says, but you are witnesses against your own selves that today you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses. Now then, said Joshua, throw away those gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord and obey him. And on that day, he made a covenant for the people there. I want you guys to remember this because we're coming back to it at Shechem. He made a covenant at Shechem. He drew up the decrees and the laws and he recorded those things in the book. And then he took a large stone. Someone say large stone. And he put the words on the stone. I mean, I don't know how big that stone was, but you think that's a lot of words. That's the five, first five books of the Bible. And he put the words on the stone. I believe they were etched in the mountain. And he said, that large stone set up under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. See, this stone, look at this, will be a witness now. This stone will be a witness against us. And it has heard all the words that the Lord has said to us. And it will be a witness against you if, if you are untrue to the Lord. And so what is Joshua saying? He's saying, okay, you, I, I, I see some things happening, but I'm calling you to this place where I feel that you have to make a decision. 
Here's why you need to make the right decision. He uses the past to help them to see how to make the right decision. So now he says, I want you to make the right decision. They make the right decision. But he also senses there's still something among them not right. How many know that sometimes I think we can get deceived and we say to God one thing, but yet our actions, our behaviors are demonstrating something entirely different. Have you ever been in relationships with people like that? Where they tell you one thing, but all of a sudden it's not happening that way, is it? It happens. And so what does he say? This stone, which is on the stone, is the word of the God. It's going to hold you accountable. We are held accountable, family, by the words we speak and the actions we demonstrate. If anyone's guilty, right here. And sometimes I don't realize that. I really don't. This hit my heart that, that I am sometimes not careful with what I need to say. Sometimes not careful with how I should act and the timing of it. But this word reminds me that we will be accountable, right? We'll be accountable by what is spoken and how we, how we demonstrate that. But here's, here's the deal in all of this, okay? So they make the decision. Joshua gives them like the papa warning. This is what's going to happen. And guess what? They fail. They fail miserably. Don't they? Because if you read the storyline through Judges and through all the books of the Old Testament into the prophets, they end up falling and failing. Matter of fact, they fail at it so bad that God raises Babylon to invade the nation of Israel, take all the women and children, destroy the holy place, the temple, and brings the remaining remnant into slavery for 70 years in a foreign country. I think they failed. But here's the deal. There is hope in the failure. Woo! There is hope when we fail. Oh, man, this is where it gets good. I want to encourage us this morning, even if you don't make the right decision sometimes, if you draw back to the Lord, there is hope, and he's going to bring the good out of it. How did he do that for Israel? Go to Ezekiel 37. I want us to draw this connection. This is really exciting. Ezekiel chapter 37. It's a very familiar passage in Ezekiel 37. It's about the vision of the valley of what? Dry bones. The vision of the valley of dry bones. And just hear me now. I'm just talking a little history. At this point in the letter of Ezekiel, Israel has been destroyed pretty much. The nation is invaded by Babylon, like I was saying. The temple's gone, and the remnant is now in a foreign land as slaves. Ezekiel is called to be a He's a priest, but he's also a prophet. So he's a priest and a prophet. He's a prophetic voice that God is going to use as an instrument to do something. And what is he going to do? He's going to use Ezekiel in this context to bring a deeper level of healing. Ezekiel 37. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'll read the first verse. It said, the hand of the Lord was upon me and brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and then I saw a great many bones, and they were very dry. And he said, son of man, can these bones live again? Guys, you got that picture, uh, Josh, maybe that picture that I was talking about that queue up? I had a picture that I wanted to show you because this revelation exploded in me, and I want to bring you in this journey. As I was really meditating this, I, I've always been familiar with the Ezekiel 37 passage. In my house, I have a little office, and to the side of the office, I have a prophetic painting that a friend of mine did from Greenville, Lauren, and um, they gave this to us as a gift several years ago when we were in Greenville, and as you can see, it's a picture 
of the valley of dry bones and Ezekiel standing and the phrase is, son of man, can these bones live? Now, walk with me for just one more moment. Always my understanding of the consequence of Ezekiel 37. How did the nation become dead? How did they die? Spiritually, I'm speaking. How did they die spiritually? You know, what were their dry bones? How, how did that? And I always thought, of course, because of what happened during the days of Jeremiah and the days of Lamentations. And that was the time when they forsook, forsook God, right, in the temple and, and that whole time period. And they rebelled and they, they did not follow the Lord. Then the Lord brought judgment and brought them into the land here. That's always been my prevailing thought. And so then I began to think a little more, and I feel the Holy Spirit was guiding me here. He says, but what about before then? And then I began to stretch back in my Bible reading. And if you go back even before that moment when the temple was destroyed in 586 B.C., and you go back to the king's period, well, what about Ahab and Jezebel? What about that time period when things were unleashed and people were going back and forth? What about, what about Solomon and what he brought into the nation even before that? And then I start saying, well, what is the point of entry here? You know, I'm looking, I'm trying to decide where was the point of failure? And the Lord said, listen, I had, this is now, this is my personal revelation from the Lord, but this is what I feel like it means. He said, I want you to look at that painting. And so I started looking at the painting. He goes, what do you see? I see a valley of dry bones. He said, but what do you see around the valley? I see two mountaintops, Mount Ebal and Mount Gersom. And I said, what, Lord, what are you showing me? He said, I had to tell, I'm doing something in the nation. They're slaves right now in the natural, but they're getting ready to go back to the promised land to rebuild. But before they do, I need to fix some things and I need to heal some things. So he took Ezekiel, not to just the, when the temple was destroyed, but he took him back to the beginning in Joshua chapter 24. Why is that? Because they were held accountable by the word that they declared with God in the covenant. And so there is where they got stuck. And there is where they died spiritually. So God had to show Ezekiel, take him back to the place where they got stuck to prophesy life. Woo! Where they made the wrong decision. Oh my gosh, are you hearing what I'm saying? Because that's how God does it. So sometimes when we get stuck, it's not about just the current. Sometimes we have to go back to the past. We have to let God revisit and go back to the place where we got stuck so that we can make the right choice and we can declare the right things. Come on. So what does Ezekiel do? He prophesies breath, breath. Prophesy breath into them bones. And what happens is as he begins to speak the word of the Lord and he begins to speak breath into the bones of the nation that had died, fell away, made their own decision, what happened? There was a rattling that began to come. There was a bone rattling anointing that began to happen. Why? Because somebody stood in the place of sonship, not an orphan, declared the word of the Lord because they weren't afraid. They were encouraged. They stood with boldness and declared this Prophetic word of the Lord. Woo! And all of a sudden, there's movement now in the place of death. There's movement, there's life where there was death. How do we overcome that filter of fear? What does that mean to you and I? When we prophesy breath, listen to me. In order to finish your assignment, you need life. You need sustaining life, grace from heaven, because it does get hard. 
it does get very challenging. And unless you have the infusion of the Holy Spirit breathing in you through intimacy, you're not going to finish well. It's going to be hard. I'm just telling you the truth. But the hope in that is when you step into that place, my Lord, and you feel the breath of the Holy Spirit, it gives you passion. It gives you passion. Passion is what people lack. Passion, passion, passion. Not emotionalism. Not emotionalism. Not just something that's a flare up here today, gone tomorrow. You need passion in the assignment of God. People are dead on the inside because passion has been robbed out of the house of the Lord. And we're walking out as dead men. So what does God do? He raises up somebody to prophesy breath back into that place. Infuses passion in the house. Passion for living. My God, passion, man. Oh, my Lord. I was, this morning, I was just getting wrecked in worship. Jesus, when I was at this rehab center, my job was a, I, I worked a bandsaw. A bandsaw. That means these massive pallets from Walmart and, and Lundy's and Clinton pork products, rats on the trailer, animal pig fat all over these. And you'd have to break these pallets down through a big bandsaw. It was so manual work. Day in and day out, eight hours a day, pallet after pallet after pallet. But I remember this morning because I forgot. God took me back to the place. I was crying most of the time because I was excited that I was alive, that I wasn't dead, that I'd rather push a pallet with pig fat on it than be locked up in a cracked trailer losing my life to addiction. So what happens is the devil wants to take the fight out of you. He wants you to be passionless. But you got you to get infused. Now, this, now, I'm telling you, you don't have to do like this or be. You be who God's made you to be. You be who God's made you to be, and you express it the way God made you to express it. Maybe that's quiet. That's okay. But whatever it is, you have to find it, and you have to activate it. Look what happened. After he, he speaks the prophecy of the life, he speaks to the bones. There's a bone-rattling anointing that comes in. There is a bone-rattling anointing. This is the sound. You know what this speaks to me? Formation and creativity. And the first thing in the garden, you know what God did? It said God created. Not love or any. He created. So God is a creative being, and he values creativity. So a lot of times when our passion is gone and our passion is lost, our creativity gets stifled and devalued. That's why I love being in the house here because we encourage prophetic painting and dance and drama and the arts. But that's only the tip of the iceberg. Every one of you have a gift and a call irrevocable that God has put in you. Some of you have been called to write. Some of you have been called to sing. Some of you have been called to do mathematics, intellectualism. Some of you are called to be leaders, doctors, whatever it is. God has that call and those gifts in that call. But a lot of times, if we are not in that place where it's flowing, the creativity is stifled. And, and, and we can't release and we can't perform the way God wants us to do it. Do you feel what I'm saying? So when we begin to speak the word of the Lord, come on, it releases creativity back into the place where we got off track, back into that place in our lives. Mm. Power of covering. Man, I just feel the Lord. The power of covering. It said that flesh and tendons came over them as he prophesied. 
and they became a mighty army, and they had flesh and tendons covering them. And he said, I'm going to open up the graves of my people and bring them back to the land of Israel. And he's going to bring them back to the land of Israel. There is nothing greater than when we understand the covering of the Lord. And we understand the covering of authority. The way we grow, my brothers and sisters, family, the way we grow in the kingdom, it really does rely on how well we can submit to the authorities around us. I believe that. And I believe that as we submit well, even if we don't agree, God honors that. And that is, that is how we grow in the kingdom. Matter of fact, he's going to put you in that situation whether you know it or not. But there is a power in covering. There is a power when we are covered and we're covering one another, right? There's a power when we, we're covering one another's lives with prayer, intercession, and power. When we're covering each other with encouragement, with gifts, with words. You don't have any idea. Sometimes somebody may be having a terrible day. And all it takes is that phone call. All it takes is that good word, and it just changes everything. Little things like that. But it's so good about having a covering and covering one another. So I, I feel that there's something that's released when we speak to that place, the Valley of Dry Bones. I'm going to wrap this up. And uh, I didn't have it on the outline, but I feel to go there again. Hear my heart. I just felt the Lord said, many of you are in the Valley of Decision. And I feel like you have to make a choice. And I just want to encourage you that you can make the right choice. Here's the last, last thing we'll end with. Go with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Now, isn't that like God to take you back? As you're turning there, God had delivered me from so much garbage. I mean, he just did, man. Sexual perversion, like crazy, all, cigarettes, everything. Completely delivered. I, I, and I was in that place. And uh, matter of fact, I was here. We had just moved here maybe like 2013, 14. Long, that stuff's long gone, not even a thought. And then all of a sudden, I, I, I'm sitting here, and the Lord begins to speak to me. And he opens up an opportunity to speak in Jacksonville. Now, I go to Jacksonville, but before I do, I'm, I'm going to prepare for the message that I'm going to speak in Jacksonville. I go to that subway right up here at Monkey Junction. I never go there. And I think it was actually the first time I've ever been. And I'm sitting in that Monkey Junction subway, and then all of a sudden, in walks an old friend that I had not seen since I used to use cocaine with, like 15 years prior, just walked right in the subway. Now, remember, my, my old nickname was Guido. So they knew me as Guido, so... So she goes, Guido. And I'm it's like, no, I'm not Guido anymore. My name's Michael. Amen. And she, she was like that. And I'm blown away because God is leading me to speak a message in Jacksonville about going back to the past to see God heal and move. And in walks somebody from my past. I thought there was something on it. Well, long story short, I go to Jacksonville. We spend the night at my mom and dad's. I wake up, I can't sleep. It's like three in the morning, Sunday morning. I get in the car to pray. That's where I go because I'm loud. So I pray in the car. I don't want to wake anybody up. I'm praying in the car. It's getting fiery. And then all of a sudden, the Lord says, turn the car on and drive to this old neighborhood. And I knew what he's talking about because it was the old neighborhood that I used to do drugs at. It's a really bad neighborhood. So I get in my car. It's 5.30, 6 in the morning. Sun's coming up. Sunday morning, I'm preaching at some other church. And I go to the neighborhood where I lost my virginity. 
I go to the neighborhood where I smoked my first joint. I go to the neighborhood where I put the first line of cocaine in my nose. And I go, and I go in there, and all of a sudden, in the housing development, the house where all that took place was gone. Only house in the whole neighborhood. When I mean gone, like literally the foundation was all that was left. Every house was there, but that house was gone. Why? Well, it's set behind a creek, and there was a flood that happened a year before. And it damaged that house so bad that they destroyed it, and they never rebuilt. I didn't know that until I got there, and later someone told me. So I get out, and I begin to weep. And the Lord says, get out of the car. And I get out of the car and I put my feet on the front yard. And, the, and I told the Lord, Lord, I've, I've moved past this. And the Lord said, nope. Nope, I had to bring you back. I had to bring you back because you're still not where you think you need to be or where you are. You're not where you need to be yet. Maybe in your eyes you are, but you're still not there. Because you still have some things you couldn't see that need to be released. And I begin to ask for forgiveness and forgive people for hurting me on that very property. And then the Lord said, look up. And I look up. He said, it's gone. And the house was gone. Not even in the memory books. I want that to sink in because here's the thought. People say, oh, I don't have to dig that up. That's in the past. Even the Bible says, forget what's behind. Press forward. He told Lot's wife, don't look behind. You're going to turn into a pillar of salt. But yet the Bible also says, remember what God did for you. And sometimes you do have to go back. Sometimes you have to revisit that moment to see a greater healing and a breakthrough come. I, I just believe that's what God's doing here right now. And so I feel that the Lord has many great things. But there's some decisions that the Lord is causing you to make. Because I feel like some of you have been stuck. I feel like some people in here have been stuck. But the Lord is trying to get you free. But in order to get free, sometimes you have to revisit these things. Last time, right? John chapter 4. Look at this verse. Verse 4. Now he, Jesus, had to go to Samaria to a place called Sychar. Do you know what the Greek word for Sychar is? Shechem. The woman at the well is a woman that's sitting in the valley of Shechem where the words are faded probably on the mountaintops from the days of Joshua, where Abraham's well, Jacob's well, Abraham's stone, all that was there, and Jesus strolls right on in because at his time, people are divided, racial issues, Samaritans and Jews not getting along. And we know the story, but look in verse 20, 21. It says, Jesus declared... Believe me, woman, a time is coming. Look, let me back up. Verse 19, here it is. Sir, the woman said, I can see you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. She's talking about Mount Ebal, Mount Gerzim. On this mountain, it was our tradition, our culture that we worshiped on this mountain. This was the holy place. This is where the words of the law were. This is where the presence of God resided. But you Jews claim that Jerusalem is the place where we should worship. Yeah, what do we do? There's tension there. But Jesus declared, look, he brings revelation. Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You see, you Samaritans worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Here it is. Yet a time is coming and has now come 
when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Joshua declared, now listen to me, people, follow the Lord, worship him in sincerity in truth. Jesus is chiming the same message. Worship the Father in spirit and truth. They are the kind, the worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And once again, here you see Jesus going back to the place where people got stuck to unravel a greater revelation than the temple, a greater revelation than the mountain with Joshua, a greater revelation even than the old covenant. He's unraveling a revelation of the kingdom of God inside of you. You're not going to have to go over here anymore. You're not going to have to go over there. You can bring the kingdom into the privacy of your own home. You can bring my presence on the fifth aisle at Walmart when you're shopping for groceries. You can bring my spirit into the the waiting area at the park. You can bring me anywhere you go. I won't be limited by time, space, or matter. This is the kingdom. Come on. And I'm giving this to you, woman. I'm giving this to you, Samaria. I'm giving this to you, Global River. It's already inside of you. It's already done inside of you. You just have to come into agreement with what he's already done. That's how we make the right decision. That's how he leads us on the right path. That's where you find passion for your assignment. That's where you find power and authority to walk in the supernatural and to see things done that nothing, no one else could get credit for. Stand with me, please. Amen. Jesus. So I ask the worship team to come back up. Jesus. Thank you, Lord.